This is made for you by All Souls, a church in Seattle, Washington, seeking to be a community not just for ourselves, but a vibrant expression of who God is, gracious, present, hospitable. Take a moment now to come as you are and bring your attention to God. Good afternoon and a warm welcome to you, uh, especially if you're new and we haven't met. My name is RJ and I serve here as a pastor and it'd be an honor to get to know you better. Um, as Suzanne explained, we are in the season of Advent and Advent is a word that means arrival or coming. Our reading today in John 3, as Lydia just read, shows us the arrival or the advent of joy in John the Baptist's life. He makes this amazing statement. Joy is mine, and it is now complete. John is speaking this. While he is still living in the wilderness, presumably eating his famous diet of locusts and wild honey, (laughs) he's wearing rags, sleeping in caves. John is speaking this in response to his friends saying to him, look, John, Jesus is getting all this attention now. All these people are going to Jesus and going to him. In other words, John, your stock price, it's falling, man. Like, your value is depreciating here. John's circumstances are far from complete, but his joy is. How? Like, how? How could joy be complete for John or for us? How is joy possible in the midst of life's incompleteness, if you will, How could the advent of joy in John the Baptist's life herald an advent of joy in our lives today? Friends, in the midst of the complex situations that don't have clear answers, the tricky relationships that will indefinitely be tricky, the things about ourselves that we just don't understand, the wars that don't seem to cease and continue even from John's day to the present in the midst of this incompleteness, how might we, with John, discover a joy complete, a joy that we can call so confidently mine? What we discover with John is that joy's arrival in his life is directly related to the departure of a Messiah complex. In verse 28, John the Baptist seems to be reminding himself as well as the friends that tell him his star is waning. Remember this, guys? Remember what I told you? I am not the Messiah. John is referring back to a famous moment when all the rulers and leaders of Israel came out to John and asked him, Who are you? So who is John the Baptist? Let's find out, okay? This is from John chapter 1, verse 19. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. Okay, so look, it's it's the holiday season, which means... um, It's the season for holiday parties, right? Maybe you've been to a few already this week. Work parties, neighborhood gatherings, Christmas markets, and inevitably at holiday parties, you meet somebody new and you get asked some form of this question, right? Who are you? (laughs) 
there's a lot of ways to ask this question, and they often start with like, so, you know, like, so, how do you know Tim? You know, or so, uh, what is it that you you do? Uh, or so, do you live in the neighborhood too? Uh, translation, who are you, right? Um, I have a friend who responds to these questions with deflection. He's a little bit uh, like taking a prank out of this to the classic kind of career question, what do you do? Uh, he deflects to his hobbies. He's like, oh, I'm really into baking right now. <laughs> or like, oh, I'm really exploring the different kinds of mezcal that are out there. He doesn't like the pressure of a tryout, right, in these moments. He doesn't like the question under the question, really, are you worth talking to? <laughs> and uh, he doesn't want to, you know, say grad student, so he goes with baking in the lesser-known mezcal spirit, mezcal. Uh, Mexican spirit mezcal. So like, that's his thing. He, that's kind of what he goes for. But here we have John the Baptist, right? Uh, in, in chapter one, verse 19, this moment that here in John three, John refers back to, and we have John the Baptist responding to a much more pressurized situation than a holiday party. The Jews sent priests and Levites, the rulers that be at this time from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? There's such expectation in the air surrounding John Here come all these people, eager to make a fuss about John. He's a controversial, now popular figure. Matthew chapter 3, verse 5 says, Jerusalem and all of Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going to John. So he's got like some cred here. And all the people have these expectations, and they're waiting for somebody. They know in their scriptures they're waiting for maybe a prophet or maybe Elijah. Maybe, maybe, they're whispering among themselves, maybe this is even the Messiah the deliverer, the Christ. Christ is simply the Greek way of saying the Hebrew Messiah, both of which mean the anointed one, the one who has been set apart by God as Savior. You can tell John, the author of the Gospel, John, that he's impressed with John the Baptist because he notes John confessed and did not deny, John the Baptist did not deny, but confessed, like he says it with this emphasis, look at, look at what he confessed, look how freely he spoke of who he is, and what does he say? I am not the Messiah. In other words, I am not the one God has set apart as Savior. I am not the one who can make you okay. Have you ever been in a situation where someone looked to you to make them okay? Maybe it was flattering to be seen as so helpful by that person, but now up the voltage by like a thousand percent, and here you have a charged situation in which John finds himself, where people are ready to make John into this long-awaited, long-anticipated Messiah, the one that the Bible promised all the way back in Genesis 3, the one who would come from Abraham in the line of Judah, a king from David's line who would crush evil once and for all, who in being wounded for our failures would become this great healer who would bring an end to all injustice, including the Roman occupation that was troubling the Jewish people at the time. John, who are you? Are you this guy? Under less pressure, how often do we let ourselves become what people expect of us? How often do we fudge who we are to make it sound better? How often do you find yourself falling into a situation where you take on the expectations of others and it begins to drive you and run you? But John the Baptist invites the people who gathered around him and he invites us today to have a more settled sense about who we are 
to respond with freedom to the many ways people ask, who are you? And confess, I am not the Messiah. Are you the sort of person I can depend on to do this for me? No, I'm not the Messiah. Are you the sort of parent who really knows how to raise kids right? I'm sorry, I'm not the Messiah. Are you the manager we need right now to lead our team out of this? Is part of your answer at heart, I am not the Messiah? I want to explore what John means here when he answers this question. I think we'll find this confession of John the Baptist to be incredibly freeing and something that precipitates the advent of joy in our lives. I am not the Messiah. Like, what a humbling thing to say. And I imagine what a freeing thing to say. What joy comes with believing this simple creed. This is one of the most basic and profound confessions in all of the Christian faith, okay? I am not the one who can save myself. I am not the one who can save you. I am not the one who can fix all this. One commentator puts it this way. Here is a confession more foundational in your life than the historic confessions of the church. The Westminster Confession, if that's your flavor, the 39 Articles, the Belgic Confession. It's the confession of John the Baptist, and it's very short. You can memorize it. One line, I am not the Messiah. Can you try and say this with me like out loud right now together? I am not the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. So I don't have to be. Jesus came and he's coming again, so I don't have to fill those shoes. Enter joy. As some of you know, I'm a fan of soccer, and beside the Sounders, I follow an English team from our old neighborhood in London, and their coach, whose first name is Ange, is famous for his pregame and halftime talks. His players remark that they're like the best in the game. Some are even declaring themselves to be Angelicans, is how they say it. They're, they're that into Ange. But during one recent game in particular, Ange spoke to his players at halftime. And then after the half, there's this dramatic change in the way they played. After the game, Ange was asked, and he said, you know, like, well, what, what happened? How did, how, did you, how did you change the team? Like, what, what did you say? And he replied, it was a case of whatever happens, I will take responsibility, he told them, particularly if it doesn't go well. So just go out there and play the game and believe. It's a case of whatever happens, I will take responsibility, particularly if it doesn't go well. So just go out there and play and believe. <laughs> I think what happens so often, friends, sure in high-profile sports context, but regularly, too, in our daily lives, the pressure of being responsible crowds out our joy, our play, our belief. Take something as basic as sleep. How many of us wake at night with the things we wonder how to do better, the things we feel responsible for, and wonder how to better control and manage? But then we actually do fall asleep. We wake the next day, having at some point not been responsible for our lives during those unconscious hours, right? <laughs> While we sleep, God is sustaining us. Victor Hugo puts this so well, go to sleep in peace. God is awake. In our daily lives, we live, you know, with a little bit of a deficit of joy, and it's crowded out by this hyper sense that we have to be responsible. And it crowds into that space where I think we think we're the Messiah at some level. 
What more joy, what more peace could be ours if we could hear God say over us, I will take responsibility, particularly if it doesn't go well? What room for joy and play emerges? Caring for children, right, is another example. You can pray for children. You can teach children. You can set up good boundaries. You can handle it well when those boundaries are inevitably broken. You can extend love and enjoyment, and yet you cannot save your kids. You cannot make all the right decisions for your kids, and you'll probably have to remind me of that at some point. (laughs) What if your children already have a Messiah, friends, and it's not you? Joy and relief rush in when you get out of the way, particularly when things aren't going well. What are some of the other ways we can grow in this confession of John the Baptist? How can I am not the Messiah be something more meaningful to us, more at the forefront of our minds when we're tempted to act like there is no Messiah but me? Let's think for a second about the advent of joy that is possible in our relationships. Trusting that Jesus is the Messiah and that I am not frees me up to enjoy people more. We know we have a Messiah complex when we have a messianic sense of how someone else ought to be, right? When we think we know like what everyone in our lives ought to be doing, or maybe it's just a particular person in your life that you're very confident you know what they ought to be doing. When we become some sprinkler head, right, for tips and advice and links to articles that will make you better, healthier, faster, more productive, you know, whatever that list of things would be like for this person that you're maybe now imagining. Is there a lot of should happening when you think about this person? Well, hold on then. Ask yourself what God is already doing in that person's life. That you are invited to simply see and enjoy. Ask this question of what God is up to if you plan to spend time with family this Christmas, particularly maybe difficult members of the family for you. Students at home on break. Ask this as you become impatient with your siblings and parents over the winter break. Trusting that Jesus is the Messiah means that my friends, my spouse, my kids are not and don't have to be. I don't have to put that pressure on them. The expectation of my okayness rests on Jesus, the Messiah, and what he has done. Jesus has a unique capacity to bear the ultimate weight of my burdens so my friends don't have to. I can share my burdens with the people closest to me, but not in a way that makes these people responsible. Christ has taken that responsibility on himself. I am not the Messiah, and you are not the Messiah. Let us relate to one another in that freedom. And I think we'll discover the joy of Advent in our relationships. I'll sing for a second about the advent of joy and what I'm calling our greatness. When we come to the place that John the Baptist got to, where he was able to confess that he is not the Messiah, Jesus is, something happens to our sense of greatness. We become less fragile. John's creed has two parts. The first is that I am not the Messiah. The second, which flows from it, is this. He must become greater. I must become less. 
Greatness is often something we define by comparison. John's friends took pride in being on like John's team, right? He was winning a popularity contest for a while there, and now they're worried that people are going to Jesus instead of John for baptisms. And John reminds them what Jesus has come to do and be. He is the Messiah. He's come to save. John, in other words, is okay with an experience of feeling less because of who God is and God's greatness. John is able to have a joy because his joy is rooted and directed not at his fragile greatness, but at the greatness of Jesus and what Jesus has come to do. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, and it's printed in the inside cover of your order of worship if you want to read along, but I can read it out loud to you. Bonhoeffer says this about the Advent season, and I think it applies to the advent of joy in our lives. The celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. The celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. This means that joy is not only for the happy and already well-adjusted, for the cleaned up and tidy, for the chipper and well-off, right? (laughs) When you think you have things figured out, it is so easy to be self-satisfied, to fall into the trap of the Messiah complex. But joy is to be found in something greater to come. That longing for justice, that longing for peace, both in the world around us and in our own hearts, It causes us to know we need an advent, an arrival, not just in the future when Jesus, the Messiah, comes back, when hope shall sing its triumph and sadness flees away, as we'll sing in a little bit, but here, now, joy that is mine, as John says, joy that is complete, as John says, in the midst of life's incompleteness. This is only possible when we locate our joy in the greatness of God and Jesus Christ. The God who left his greatness to make sure we could know joy. As one of my favorite hymns puts it, God who is rich beyond all splendor, all for love's sake became as poor. Thrones for a manger did surrender. Sapphired paved courts for stable floor. Thou who is rich beyond all splendor, all for love's sake, becomes poor. Thou who art God beyond all praising, all for love's sake became human, stooping so low, but sinners raising, heavenwards by thine eternal plan. Thou who art love beyond all telling, Savior and King, we worship thee. Emmanuel, within us dwelling, Make us what you would have us be. What is revealed in Jesus Christ is that God goes first. He decreases so that we might increase. And John, grasping this, invites us all to follow Jesus' way. One of the most powerful things any of us can do is willingly decrease. How secure how safe, how saved 
in the careful care of the Messiah do you need to be to willingly give up your greatness? The security in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is what John the Baptist discovered, and it became the advent, the arrival of abundant, complete joy in his life. Friends, when your joy is full, when your joy is complete, you have so much to give away. When your greatness to God is proven by Jesus' affection, his decreasing for your increasing, you can then allow yourself to decrease in all the metrics of the world's eyes with boldness. You then don't have to play the comparison and envy game. Your joy is complete in Christ's affection for you, friends, and what he has done for you, not what you've done to prove yourself great and worthy of love. When our greatness is in Jesus and what he has done and is doing and will do, we are freed up to boldly live in a way that allows for our decrease for the sake of others. Abundant joy means that you can live with less to give more. Quote, unquote, less. (laughs) Friends, this Advent, what might we discover about joy as we confess with John the Baptist, I am not the Messiah? And welcome again to discovering the joy of Christmas, as in this season, we learn to look to the Messiah and not pretend to be one. And as we do, may his kingdom come, and not our floppy, hard, messy versions of our own kingdoms in conflict with each other get in the way. That's what we'll sing on Christmas Day, that his joy would flow as we sing joyful, joyful, that his blessing would flow as far as the curse is found in every area of life. So toward that end, please join me in prayer. Father, thank you for the way in which, through John, we can see what joy would look like in our lives. And many of us who've experienced that, many of us who long to experience that, can find something familiar in the way that we all want to be relieved of the pressure and the responsibility of pretending to be a Messiah. And so we pray, come Messiah, come Jesus. Come into our hearts, come into our world in ways that make it more and more like your home, marked by the joy and the love and the freedom that really only you can bring. And we pray this not only for our good, but your glory. We pray this as well for our joy. Amen.